Welcome to the Sober by Design podcast, where we explore the many pathways to recovery and a better life through conversations with a wide array of guests. Whether you're sober curious, in recovery, or simply looking to improve your mental health and well-being, this podcast will have something for you. Each week, we sit down with inspiring guests from all walks of life who share their personal stories of struggle and triumph, offering valuable insights and practical advice on how to design a life worth living. From addiction and mental health to spirituality and creativity, we cover a wide range of topics that are relevant to anyone seeking to live a more fulfilling and authentic life. So join us on this journey of discovery, growth, and transformation, and start designing a new life. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sober by Design podcast. Tonight we have Thomas White. Um, Thomas uh, founded Exact Nature a CBD company located in Maine, and really excited to have Thomas on the podcast tonight. So, Thomas, how are you? I'm great. Corey, how about you? Doing pretty good tonight. Uh, like I just yeah. said, I'm just getting back from baseball, so I'm I'm <laughs> unwinding. Um, you know, I like to start off all these interviews with a little bit of a backstory on who you are and kind of where you grew up, you know, how you, you know, you got to become, quote unquote, an adult. And if you could give us a little bit of that, that'd be great. Sure. Uh, excuse me. I uh, I grew up in Cincinnati. Uh, uh, I have three siblings, none of whom are addicts, as I am. Um, I was had a very uh, very good, very normal childhood. I did was very uh, I was very free thinking and very curious about the world and had i i kind of had this joie de vivre uh this i liked adventure and and anything that was kind of forbidden fruit if you will um more and more specifically i was i i've been a, a big music fan for uh since i was probably 10 years old mm -hmm. and, um, the uh the first record i ever bought was santana abraxas a record that i love to this day mm -hmm. Kind of proud of that fact and so since then i bought a lot of music and listened to a lot of music uh mountain biking was a big part of my uh really th through my uh early 20s and then carried on i to this day i'm a, a very avid cyclist um but drugs and alcohol certainly were a big part of that increasingly so as i as i got older i was the first person in my high school class for instance to start smoking pot um, I, I don't say that with as a sense of pride. As <laughs> I say that, saying that it kind of portends what what came later. Mm -hmm. um, so knowing what I know now, I think I showed the signs of being an addict and an alcoholic from an early age. Uh, I went to Indiana University. I had two degrees from IU. I went there. I got a undergrad degree in in marketing, and then later went back to graduate school and got a degree in nonprofit management. Um, I've had a very, uh, very uh, fulfilling, very uh, broad and, and a very rich uh, life up to this point. I'm a father of two, two adult sons. They're 24 and 22 now. Uh, both are adopted. We adopted them from a country in Eastern Europe called Moldova. Okay. Moldova has been in the news a little bit more with the... Uh, Russian uh, invasion of Ukraine, and because there's some worry that Moldova might be uh, on uh, on list next. 
Um, my oldest son, uh, Daniel, they're both great kids. My oldest son, Daniel, has suffered some some addiction issues as well. And with that, he helped me found uh, Exact Nature. So it's very good to have somebody um, uh, with his perspective. He, you know, he, he comes at this from a different uh, a different point of view, being a, a 24 year old young man. Uh, and I honestly, I can't imagine getting sober at, at 24, but he's been, he's been doing well. Good. On the professional side of things, I, I, <laughs> ironically, I, I started my career in, in corporate marketing for the Seagram's corporation. So I was always on the wine side of things, but, uh, there I was, the, I had, had all the, a full, we called it a book, a full book of wines available to me. And um, from from Seagram's, I left Seagram's and joined the Peace Corps. I became a Peace Corps volunteer in Botswana. And I stayed for two years in Southern Africa and Botswana. And I was managing, uh, for my job, I was managing a bunch of public works projects. And when I first got there, I was living out way out in the Kalahari Desert. And in, in, in fact, very uh, five kilometers from the Namibian border, so it was it was out there. Um, the the uh, when I was living in Botswana, the population density per square mile in the in co- the country, the entire country, which was about is about the size of Texas, mm-hmm. is three. So three people per square mile, and so I lived in the most remote area of that country, where uh, where. Uh, most of the people that lived there were Bushmen. So it was quite a, quite an experience. Um, and um, from there, then I moved to Haberoni, the capital city. And when I moved to Haberoni, some fortuitous things happened. I, I became a DJ for Radio Botswana. I'm a, as I said <laughs> earlier, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of music. So I became a kind of a small time uh, celebrity in, in Botswana for that. And I was, I'm also a drummer. So I was drumming in a very good band in, 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 in Botswana called Quinyapi. And a quick funny story about that is uh, this, this band Quinyapi, a very good band, they, they put out a record just prior to me arriving in Botswana. And they had a studio drummer, very good studio drummer. So when I came in, I didn't play on that record but I did play all of the music on that record. Mm-hmm. So we, we toured with that record and so on. Um, and that, so that was a lot of fun. And uh, uh, I think a lot of the uh, Botswana, uh, the Africans were, <laughs> were somewhat amazed that a white guy had some, had some rhythm. Uh, but uh, so I, I did that uh, upon returning uh, from Botswana as a volunteer. Again, fortuitously, I, uh, I interviewed and was offered the job as the press secretary for Peace Corps. And that's, I served in that capacity for about seven years. I lived in, in DC and, and was the primary spokesperson for, for the organization. And, um, and I'm, I'm somewhat, a, um, I'm not particularly an animated guy necessarily, but I, w- I was always told when I would talk about the Peace Corps and cause I did a fair amount of public speaking, mm-hmm. They would talk about how animated I would get when I start telling stories about some of the things I had, I had done. So, um, from Peace Corps, I went and uh, after the Peace Corps. One thing about it is you can only work there for five years. 
I was there for seven years. So there was a small percentage, three to 5% of those people by virtue of the, of the capacity that they're filling in, in for the organization, you can get one more tour of duty. So uh, when I left the Peace Corps at seven years, uh, I would have only had, I could have only stayed even if I had wanted to a few more months. So from there, then I went and I started what became uh, the thrust of the last uh, 15 years of my, of my career when that is, is being a, I was a chief marketing officer for a number of universities. Okay. I, so I, I did that. I worked in higher education. Okay. And left that uh, about three years ago now to start exact nature it's something i had wanted to do and, and and wanted to get out of higher ed i had done it a long time and just wanted to try something new so you you were all over the world and <clears throat> you For, know 40 about 40 countries yeah so you're 40 countries you're and your active addiction is what i'm taking from the story so yeah. you're traveling from you know botswana to 39 other countries and you are drinking and there's drugs and how is that um happening in in these areas like how are you first off i said i didn't want to do like a drunk walk but this this is kind of interesting to me because normally i just get like hey i grew up in my town and i drank in my town bar you're in africa in an area where there's no access what's going on in those areas that you're still able to maintain active addiction yeah good question and very fair question and so while i was succeeding professionally i was my drinking was getting out of control and so yes while i was at the peace corps and in traveling you just you you find a way to um you know find the bars you find the ways to drink and and so on and so that uh it did not curb my drinking I, in mm -hmm. fact it, as as you know corey uh, drinking and alcoholism is progressive, so it gets worse and worse and worse until you until you stop. And even once you stop, it's the, the, the thinking is that your addiction still progresses beyond that point. Right. So I was just finding a way, you know, I was finding uh, bottle stores and in places and it was just uh, uh, it was continuing. I, you know, it probably I, I, I was able to maintain uh, my professional, um, my professional composure, if you will, throughout sure. this. So I didn't drink on the job. I, uh, so it was always after work, but you know, most days I probably went to work with a hangover. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and I am an alcoholic by, uh, without question, but I'm also an addict, mm -hmm. you know, uh, alcohol became my, um, my poison, if you will. Uh, just because it's so socially acceptable and readily available. So that's that's certainly what I turn to most. But as I mentioned earlier, I was the first kid in my, my high school class to start smoking pot. And sure. you know, I, I did kind of every drug imaginable. I didn't, I never did and never have done heroin. Mm -hmm. That was not, that was not popular when I was a, a, a of that age. And, uh, and goodness sake, you know, because, uh, I, I imagine I would have been there. I, I don't know. I did cocaine and I did, you know, psychedelics yeah. uh, and things like that. So, um, but I was slipping in the darkness. You know, I never slept under a bridge and I never begged for money on the street. Um, but, you know, that there, but go there, but I, there, 
there for but the grace of God go I. Uh, but I was quickly becoming this member of a club nobody wanted to be be a member of. And uh, I was really quite quickly becoming, uh, I had this overwhelming feeling of being helpless and hopeless and full of shame. Yeah. So I was kind of horrified at the life I, at that point, thought I was destined to lead. Uh, but with good fortune and, and lots of help, I'm, I'm, I'm now sober and have been for 14 years. Uh, and I'm one of the lucky ones. Sure, sure. So what, <clears throat> I guess, you know, you're, you're working, you're, you have a family, you know, you have a, a steady job, a good job, right? And something 14 years ago, you said, I, I can't do this anymore, right? For me, it, I have my own reason. And, yeah. you know, it wasn't that I lost a job or that I got in a car accident or I got arrested or anything like that. And, you know, that is the story for a lot of people. <clears throat> 14 years ago, something happened for you and, and a, a switch flipped. First, what what flipped for you? And then where did you go when that Yes, when that right. Well, so I've been sober for 14 years ago. But 15 years ago, I got my second DUI. Okay. And it was just, it was, it was, there was no, I could no longer avoid it. I had to do something. And, you know, and it's not that I didn't want to quit, but I was afraid. I was just so full of fear. I just wasn't sure I could do it. Mm -hmm. So I went to rehab and I, and, and this is different for everyone, but for me, I don't think I could have done it without rehab. But in spite of going to rehab, I went to in, in West Palm Beach in Southern Florida. And in spite of going to rehab, and they, they did a nice job with all of us in, at rehab, uh, I relapsed probably five or six times in that year following rehab. That's why I say can say that I'm sober for 14 years. Mm -hmm. But for 15, it was 15 years when I started this journey in, uh, in, in, in earnest. Yeah. Uh, but what I was doing, and I told my wife at the time, because uh, she was understandably freaked out about me you know, relapsing and continuing to drink, drink after all of this. And after all my, my, what was becoming increasingly troubled, you know, and, mm -hmm. and so on. But what I told her at the time, and for this, in this particular instance, it happened to be true. And that was, I told her that I was starting to get it. I was starting to learn how to put a few a few days together and then a few weeks together and finally a few months together. You know, it's still somewhat surprising and amazing to me that I ever did get it. Yeah. Because you really just feels like you're never going to get it. But eventually I did. And now at this point, I've had 14 years of continuous sobriety. That's awesome. Like you said, you know, everybody's way to get there is different. Some people can just stop which, you know, obviously, depending on where you're at in your drinking comes with medical concerns, right? Like you don't like if you're a heavy drinker, you don't just want to stop because there can be serious, serious side effects to just um, yes. cold turkey for for people who drink a lot. Um, and even mm -hmm. people who don't drink a lot, like you never know. It's it's a very difficult drug to come off of. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. yeah. Corey, even, even at the end of my drinking, my drinking was so bad that I would somehow kind of wake myself up out of my sleep so I could get up and drink more. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was awful. I mean, there were, the writing was clearly on the wall 
Uh, but I was just, I was afraid. Sure. Uh, yeah. Afraid so, of like what you would be without it. Afraid of yeah. what might happen if you stop. There's a lot of that in, in, you know, giving up alcohol. Um, will I lose friends? I think I talked about it on a previous episode. It's like grief. It's literally like you don't want to deal with the grief of whatever is going to happen next. And yeah, you know, there's a you weird know, thing there, you know, that's right. I had this, this constant, uh, uh, thought running through my mind, which, which was, and I think this is probably true for most people that, that are, are alcoholics, especially, and have to quit. And that is, you mean I can never drink again. Right. And that was your, it's just this soundtrack running through your head. You mean I can never drink again? And, and Corey, at some point in my, in my early sobriety, and I, and I, I don't know exactly, but I would guess this about the two year point, mm -hmm. my thinking went from, you mean I can never drink again to, you mean I never have to drink again? It, it, I was comforted by it. You know, I was comforted by my sobriety at that point. And it was probably somewhere between the one and two year mark. I yeah. don't know for sure, but, but I, I, I became comforted as I am today, comforted by the fact that I don't need to live like that anymore. Right. That takes a little while to get to that point though, yes. you know, cause for a while it's like, oh my goodness, you know, what am I going to do when I go to Italy for the first time, right? Like everybody drinks wine in Italy. How am I not going to, you know, you can't comprehend it at, you know, 10 days sober, you know, That's right. it, it's like, it's, it's an incomprehensible thought that you'll never do it again. And then, like you said, two years, maybe somebody five, I don't know. I don't know. Everybody's timeline is different, but you get to a point where it's like, I, I don't need this. You know, my yes. life is good without it. And it's a nice yes. day when that happens. That's right. And especially like you bring up Italy, you know, for instance, uh, I, I, first time I was in Italy, I, I was drinking, you know, so I enjoyed all the wines of Italy being a guy that my background was wine and I enjoyed them. And I was on pretty good behavior most of my time in Italy. But the second time I was sober and I thought, you know, what's this going to be like? But I, I did okay. Yeah. And the same thing, I haven't been back to Botswana yet, but I, I will go sometime in the next three or four years. And, uh, that even now, 14 years into this, my thought is, what's it going to be like? And I'm not so afraid that I'll relapse as I am <clears throat> just wondering whether I'll be able to enjoy myself, whether I'll, whether I'll just be uh, so laden with all that baggage that I, you know, I just won't, won't somehow be able to appreciate the, the fullness of what I'll uh, what will be a, a trip back to some place I, that I spent two very uh, uh, meaningful years of my life. You, you might actually get there and be able to take it in more and, you yeah. know, in a, with a more clear-headed yeah. way, right? So it's sort of the idea yeah. of like, you probably went to a lot of concerts under the influence. And over the past 14 years, you've gone to a lot of concerts not under the influence. And I bet those concerts stick in your mind a lot more, right? Mm -hmm. They do. I can actually remember some of the set lists exactly. to, you know, to a degree. And, yeah. and yes, I can remember them, you know, yeah. I, yes. And, and, and excellent question again. Uh, also when I first got sober, I thought, you know, will I enjoy going to concerts at, you know, not stoned? Yeah. Uh, 
will I, you know, I'm, I'm a big mountain biker and, and cyclist. Will I enjoy mountain biking and cycling sober? Right. And I can say without reservation, the answer is a resounding yes. Mm -hmm. I enjoy the shows every bit as much. I enjoy them more now than, than I ever, than I ever did. I mean, I had plenty of, plenty of fun times going to shows, you know, while I was drinking and, and, and doing drugs and so forth, but not like now. These are really meaningful times and I enjoy them every bit as much. I, I always, um, you know, we go see a lot of music and we'll get back to some other stuff, but just now that we're on music, you know, used to go, we would pre, we would tailgate, we would drink during the parking lot time and then you would go into the show and you'd drink more and, you know, there'd be drugs yeah. involved and, you know, and I, th I thought I was having a good time. Right. And then yeah. at some point during that night, like the night slipped away from me and I, I don't I couldn't tell you, you know, what happened towards the end of some concerts. And, you know, there was plenty of shows that I saw that I just can't quite wrap my head around. And now when I go to these shows and I see people like passed out on a chair or, you know, on the ground, I'm like they're missing this wonderful experience. Yeah. You know, I'm here. I'm, I'm hearing this great music. Right. I'm. You know, Jason Isbell is on stage and he's killing it. And this guy's on the ground, like with his eyes closed. Ha like, yeah. and that would, that could have been me. And yeah. it's just, you know, those moments don't escape me anymore. And actually my wife who still drinks, she doesn't really drink at shows either. So like mm -hmm. she's taken up, like she'll still have wine and, you know, she'll have yeah. drinks, but you know, she's taken it and she said, it's such, it's so much more enjoyable now. Like this whole experience is just so much better. Um, it's yeah. not actually enhanced by drinking, which is something yeah. that I thought it was prior to, you know, the past 10 years for me. And, yeah. Uh, it's, it's great. You know, in sobriety, I have had the chance to uh, meet a couple of musicians that I've long admired, Steve Earle and John Hyatt, mm -hmm. for instance. Singer-songwriters, just great musicians, yeah. long careers, et cetera. And had a chance to talk to them a little bit about uh about recovery and about sobriety and you know they they hear every question all the same old questions from pe their fans and so forth but in both instances there when i spoke to them about about recovery they could not have been more generous and forthcoming with their time and just encouragement and and so forth so you know i'm sure that these these kinds of thoughts ran through their mind you know that they had long careers prior to especially steve earl prior to getting sober and then getting sober i'm sure they wondered whether they would still have the, the creative muse and you know for them too they're they're absolutely their output has been remarkable since since sure you sober yeah, John Hyatt, great song, Cry Love. That's one of my favorite songs, actually, yeah. of all time. Um, so stepping back, you went to rehab, you came back, you had some misstarts. That's all it was in my head, right? You you just, you kind of started, you stopped, you you, get, you finally got going, right? It was a, a little yeah. bit of like a chug. Um, did you do anything locally for yourself when you were home? Like, did you find yourself in any sort of group setting or did you just kind of do this on your own? What was your methodology? Yeah. Um, and in spite of those relapses that first year after having gone to, um, to re rehab, uh, in spite of those relapses, I was gaining some confidence. I was 
I was really starting to, to get it and starting to find my footing, but also definitely. And I got, I, I got sober where you now live in New Jersey mm-hmm. and the, the sobriety community there was very strong. And so I did what is kind of obligatory or uh, for anybody getting into newly into sobriety and that is to go to a hundred meetings in a hundred days. Yeah. So I did that. Uh, and then I just, I, I like it and I still love going to meetings. I haven't been as much since COVID. Okay. And so I, I have to kind of I say that out loud because I know I need to get back sure. and, and get back to it more seriously than I have been since COVID. But, but boy, and those really uh, uh, just up until COVID. So the, for the first 12 years or whatever it was, um, I went to a lot of meetings. I went to, Certainly in the first few years, I probably went to three meetings a week, maybe mm-hmm. four meetings a week after the 100 days. After I'd gone to 100 meetings in 100 days, I still went a lot. Um, one of my uh, one of my best friends, and he happened to be on, on my staff, um, is a guy that had, I don't know, he's probably got 35 years of sobriety now, but he was was a, a speechwriter for the for the president of Seton Hall University, where I work, okay. he was in long-term sobriety, and he was a guy that went on and to become head of the the national uh, office for for AA in New York. And so I uh, I had him to kind of reach out to if I ever if I ever needed that and 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 so on. So meetings were a big part of that. Um, Certainly, in, in and I did a lot of reading. Yeah, uh, the big book and 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 really and and had a lot of fun with these meetings because there's such a variety of meetings. And I remember one guy had a kind of one guy one man show when I was in in New Jersey about Bill Wilson's story in AA and so on. And I went to see that show a few times to the point where I I had <laughs> gone enough at this point. The guy that did it kind of liked me and said, you know, listen, I'm going to be I'm going to be retiring at some point, not doing this. Might you be interested? And, and I've thought about that since then, because I would still be interested in doing that. Sure. You know, I, it didn't, it didn't happen at the time, but um, so meetings were a big part of it now and, and reading and kind of, kind of being, uh, kind of keeping up with, with uh, uh, just sober, the sober community and sober friends and so forth. Yeah. And, and I, I have to say my circle of friends um, largely didn't change because I didn't have other friends that were really alcoholics and addicts like I did. So so I didn't have to change a lot of uh, my, my circle of friends and they have been supported for 14 years now as, as supportive as can be and, and so on. But now more recently, now with the advent of, of podcasts and things that uh, you know there, there are so many more resources and we and people don't keep their their addictions and alcoholisms alcoholism hidden under the bushel basket like they used to yes you know back then and so now it's people are much more um willing to talk about it and to recognize their issues and with that comes healing mm-hmm. right yeah i think it you know in the past you know, being in recovery was almost as bad as being an alcoholic, right? Like, mm-hmm. like that was the same, it was the same stigma. Um, you know, yeah. it was like, you know, the AA was the room behind the church in the basement. And, yeah. you know, those people kind of snuck out and, um, you know. It's where that 
Yeah, just kind of like you wouldn't talk about somebody in your family in recovery with any sense of pride. Yes. Um, you know, and now I think that's completely flipped where if you know somebody, you're like, that person is doing one of the hardest things that is to do and we should celebrate them. And I think that has given a lot of people the the chance to at least find this path. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, now we'll, we'll talk about this, but I, you know, I, I run, run exact nature, this, this CBD company and our, our, our target customer are people that are facing these addiction issues. Mm -hmm. So, so with that, uh, I'm in conversations weekly with, with customers that are new to sobriety. So I have, I have kind of this active voice uh, in helping people that, that are facing the, the same decisions and same uh, concerns and worries that I did 15 years ago and 15 years ago and 25 years ago, you know, sure. all the time that I was drinking and knew that I had to stop. Sure. Well, you know, my, my story starts out similar to yours. I did a lot of AA early on and kind of kept with it. And then I kind of slid off of that and started reading and podcast became a big thing. And then the Instagram sober space. And, you know, yeah. then now I work a little bit in recovery locally here with some people and I do have a recovery community. Uh, my friends prior to finding sobriety were not recovery type people. <laughs> they were all, yeah. you know, so my friend group has changed. I mean, I'm still friendly with most of the people, but definitely I have a different sort of social life, I would say. Um, but for me, I think early on, finding a company like yours could have been helpful. So, you know, when I work with people who are earlier in their recovery, some people don't want to maybe go to a meeting. Maybe they're a little anxious. They, you know, maybe they just want to stay home, but maybe they also feel like they need something a little bit more to help them through that initial stage. And I, you know, I looked a little bit online at your, you know, your stuff on Instagram and I looked at your webpage. I read the story about you and your, your son and, you know, how he, he was using the CBD products, I believe early in his recovery. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you can just give me a little bit of a background on the company, cause I think it's, you know, it could be very interesting for people who are early on and later too. I mean, I think there's benefits to it. We use some CBD products in the house, not yeah. a ton, but you know, we do use them. So, yeah. Um, I have been back in Maine now for about three years, but I moved back here from Reno, Nevada. And so I lived in Reno for about, uh, about seven years. And my next door neighbor, just as so happens, was the first, had oh, still has the first hemp handler's license in the state of Nevada. So he was the first CBD supplier in the state. And through, through Michael and his wife, Sasha, I learned about CBD. And, and at first our conversations were about how can it help with anxiety and depression? How can it help with better sleep? And you know, how does it generally work and so on? And, but quickly Mike, and they didn't know I was in recovery, mm -hmm. uh, but quickly my, my questions became, can this, can this help people that are in recovery that are trying to, you know, put down the, the, the drugs and the alcohol and boy, they just lit up. They just said, yes. And they, they cited a few, 
three different friends of theirs, two were alcoholics and another was su suffering from an opioid addiction. They mm -hmm. talked about giving their product because they're wholesalers. They couldn't sell their product, giving their product to these people and how it helped them in that. And so what that did was it piqued my interest. I wasn't, uh, you know, my name is Thomas. So I, I true to my name, I'm a doubting Thomas. So I did three, about three months of really extensive research to, to, to say, yes, that, does CBD have a role to play in, in people getting sober? But I had, uh, and, and so after this exhaustive amount of research, and, and it's still somewhat limited, but there's, there's plenty out there, I came to my own conclusion that, yes, CBD has a role to play. And, Corey, I would never say that you should, if, if you're suffering from addiction, take CBD and that addiction is going to go away. I would, would just I would never say about mm -hmm. that. That would be silly. Uh, just, just addiction and alcoholism. It's just too powerful. Just that it, it, but, but what I, what I will say and do say often is that it can be a very important part of a broad approach to getting sober. Sure. Because the way CBD works, it has, uh, it works through our endocannabinoid systems, these systems of neurotransmitters that run, run through our brain and throughout our bodies. And that our endocannabinoid systems, they get depleted over time. So when we take CBD, what we're doing is replenishing that, that endocannabinoid system, which can help bring our body back into equilibrium, back into homeostasis. So that's essentially how it works. And so even with, with CBD and, and addiction, what it can do is by bringing your body back into that, that equilibrium and homeostasis, you're you're cutting that psychological bridge that and and reducing those visual cues that often prompt us to relapse mm -hmm. and by minimizing those cues and by breaking that psychological bridge all of a sudden we can start you know we're starting to feel better we're starting to our mood and focus is is improving our sleep is improving uh and cbd can help uh curb those addictive cravings. So to my mind, and there are some old timers in AA that would just never uh, entertain the idea of taking CBD. They see it as a crutch. Mm -hmm. I, uh, as you would imagine, I don't share that view. Sure. I, I think that if, if you can take something that can help reduce those cravings and, or, and you can take something that is going to help with your mood and your focus uh, and is going to help you get better sleep. All of a sudden, you're feeling better, and all of a sudden, you're you're able to really address those issues that uh, that you face in early sobriety. So, so for instance, for me, um, I don't have the the daily urges to drink any any longer. Thank goodness. Um, but when my active addiction moved out, depression moved in for me, mm -hmm. and was something that I, I just had to, I had to deal with. And for 10 years, I, I took prescription medication for my addiction and it worked until it didn't. Yep. You know, Cause that's not uncommon that this uh, prescription medication for, for depression just stops working. And I was tired of kind of the, the trial and error process, error process. And so I just, quit the prescription medication and have treated my depression uh, with CBD for the last 
three solid years. Mm -hmm. And what I will say is it works every bit as well as the prescription medication, which is not to say it works perfectly all the time because it doesn't. Because if I have a lot on my mind, uh, uh, it, it just doesn't doesn't make you catatonic, right? It doesn't tamp down your feelings to the point where you're you're uh, a zombie. Sure. But it certainly helps deal with all of this. I take, as you would imagine, I take CBD every day, uh, and it just it that's how I control a fairly uh, fairly significant case of depression, uh, because really that's what happened. I didn't had a little bit of anxiety when I quit quit drinking, but depression is really what, what, what came in, came in strong. Sure. And so sure. Well, that's how I, I treat it now. So even though I'm beyond this, this, this period of having cravings every day or every hour of every day or what it might be and, and what it, what it can be in early sobriety, uh, it, it definitely helps me with uh, depression and it help, and I take it at night to sleep as well. So I'm, as you would imagine, but I am, I am, uh, I want to, I want to destigmatize and demystify CBD. Sure. Really has a role to play. You've, you've tried it and, and, you know, I, I tell you, uh, Corey, I've, so now we're, you know, we've been in business two and a half years and we've had, we have customers in every state uh, and we offer money back guarantee. And the number of times that we have given uh, given uh, money back to people, I'm telling you right now, it's three times. Wow. Worse than two years. And that's, again, not to say that everybody takes our product is all of a sudden cured of their alcoholism. No. But what I do say with some confidence is that everybody that takes it experiences the positives that can go with that, which is, again, mood and focus and 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 can you know uh, it can it certainly can help with uh, reducing those cravings and so forth. So I think we have a very good product. And so yeah. that's one big part of it, of course. But also, I think that that whether or not every customer that has taken our product is, is first of all, you're never cured of your alcoholism, but, no. but you might be cured of your active addiction. So I'm not I'm not suggesting that, but I. I am very confident in saying that people that take this and, t- and, and, and you have to stick, you have to stick with it. You have to take it and you have to take it on a regular basis daily and so on. It really can help. And it really has uh, uh, an important role to play in my view. Sure. A couple of things there. Um, one, you know, I think it's great that you guys are, you know, putting this product out there and educating the public um, because it is, you know, it is a tool. And I think the more tools that anybody has available to them to deal with addiction, to help them in the recovery, to deal with mental health, the better, right? That could be a therapist, that could be CBD, that could be a book, that could be music, that could be walking, fitness. You know, you could have a dozen different tools that you use, right? But they work for you. And I think the more things that we have available to, to tell people about, the better, um, the thing that you mentioned about like old timers at AA, you know, thinking it's a crutch. I think there's still some weird, uh, understanding of the product and they, they think like that CBD is coming out of the marijuana plant and there's THC yeah. and it gets you high. It's like, it is 100% derived from hemp. There's zero THC. Yeah. You don't get high. You know, it's sort of like, uh, 
it's a total, uh, you know, like myth or something. And I think that, you know, maybe there's just a certain type of person that just doesn't get it yet. And they see it as a drug and it's not, it's a, it's a medical or, you know, a homeopathic, whatever you want to call it. It's a natural remedy that is available to us and we should try to embrace it and see what it can do. Yes. And, and you're absolutely right that there is confusion because uh, cannabis, both hemp and marijuana are derived from cannabis, right? And right. Hemp and marijuana are kind of cousins. Yeah. Marijuana is high in THC, low in CBD. Hemp is just the opposite. And that's what we want as, as purveyors of CBD. Sure. We want it high in CBD and low in, in THC. Um, it, one thing that, however, one thing I would say, um, and it is not addictive, um, it's just, and but one thing is some CBD does have THC in it. We, at my, our, our first uh, round of products, we did not have THC in mm -hmm. any of our products. So now my thinking has changed a little bit because even CBD that has THC in it, by law, cannot have more than 0.3%. So that's a very small amount. It's, it's sort of like a, a non-alcoholic beer kind of thing. You know, Perfect. same idea Perfect or a kombucha, Perfect. right? So anybody in recovery is going to go grab a kombucha from their Brooklyn coffee shop or wherever they get it and feel fine about it. And they don't realize it's got, you know, 0.5% alcohol. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That, that's a very good analogy. Yeah. That's right. And, and so so we now sell, now it's called brought. So in CBD, the, the range, the spectrum is you have full spectrum CBD full spectrum CBD. Mm -hmm. So that has 113 cannabinoids to it, including THC. It also has all the flavonoids and terpenes that go with it, the things that give it the particular taste and mm -hmm. smell and things like that. Uh, so that's broad spectrum. What we, we sell both broad, well, we sell it all now, broad spectrum, and we spell, pardon me, full spectrum that has everything. Broad spectrum has everything with the exception of THC. Okay. Uh, so you take the THC out of it. So our first round of products was all broad spectrum. We because because um, there is something called the entourage effect, and that and it's believed that the cannabinoids and terpenes and 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 the flavonoids, terpenes, and cannabinoids of the CBD work within our bodies in very synergistically in very synergistic positive ways. Mm -hmm. And so both full spectrum and broad spectrum have all of this, again, with the exception of THC for broad spectrum. And, it, and we believe that the body benefits it from a number of ways. Then on the other end of that spectrum, and our gummies are CBD isolate, which means it, it, it uh, does not have any of those flavonoids, terpenes, and the other, other 112 cannabinoids. Uh, but I'm not, if you were to ask me, if, if you were a customer saying, what would you advise? I generally steer people towards broad spectrum and full spectrum. Okay. I want to think there's more benefit to it, but we offer our, our gummies again, our CBD isolate, because some people don't want that and that's understandable. And so we offer that, uh, we offer that as well. Sure. And you guys are operating out of, um, I believe Wells, Maine. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Which are just south of south of Portland. We're equidistant between uh, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and 
uh, Portland, Maine. We're, tw we're 20 miles in either direction. I, I, I know it well. I was actually in Portsmouth the other night for work. I, uh, I was so tired. I, I drove up there from Jersey. So this is like a geography thing and most people are going to not care, but I had to drive down to Island, New Jersey. So I was kind of in central Jersey and then I had to drive, you know, so I had to drive south then to drive back north to Portsmouth. And I just was so exhausted by the time I got to that Portsmouth area, but I wanted to go over the the bridge and get into Maine, yeah. but I just, it was so late and I couldn't do it. Um, I, I think I got up to the area at about 9.30 and I figured nothing would be open that I wanted to go to anyway. But uh, we love Wells. Wells is a great town. Um, we have a friend who has a house in Wells, actually. She's got a beautiful Airbnb that we've stayed in. And uh, nice. we've been to all the beaches along <clears throat> that area, which they're just great beaches. Algonquin, like the Rachel Carson and, you know, yeah. um, all oh, those areas. I, I live probably a half a mile from Rachel Carson. Okay. This is a great area. This so, is a great so area. To, to we, your audience, that's a, a very nice um, uh, a nice ha hiking area, I'd say. It's a it's a land trust part of the I think Kenny Barnes land trust it might be part of the Wells land trust but there's a lot of hiking and that kind of thing around but Rachel Carson's uh, just just gorgeous yeah we've been going up to Maine we went up to Maine for the first time in like mm, I don't even remember when it was I want to say it was like ninety nine ninety eight we mm. went camping in Freeport uh, Maine and which is the home of LLB and yes. we were broke. So it was a perfect vacation. And uh, <laughs> I think the first night we, we literally had like no money the first night. We were like waiting to get paid. We got to Maine, but we were waiting to get paid. And we sat in our tent and it poured. I think we ended up oh. at L.L. Bean that night because it was like, you know, it's over oh. 24 hours a day. So, yeah, over 24 hours a day, so, yeah. So we just drove over to L.L. Bean. But we've spent a lot of time in Maine ever since. And I think, you know, a product like yours, just kind of knowing that area of Maine and, you know, that, you know, mid-coast and southern Maine area, like I'm sure it's being embraced by the community up there. Do you see a lot of like interest in what you're doing up there? Yes, we've had a fair amount of media coverage as well. Uh, uh, you may be familiar with uh, News Center Maine. That's the, yep. the biggest uh, uh, news center, uh, the biggest news um, uh, news program in Maine. And they did a very nice uh, feature on us uh, last summer. And so, yes, it's it's been uh, it's been wonderful. Good, good. I, yeah, I mean. You know, we look at houses up there all the time, and I got to say, Wells definitely floats to the top of the list now for us mm -hmm. um, as somewhere where we would relocate one, you know, for people who don't know, and I don't have enough listeners where we're going to flood Maine here, so I'm not yeah. going to give away too many secrets, but, you know, there's a train uh, in, in your town, which is awesome, goes right to Boston. It's a long train ride, but it's there, and right the schools are just beautiful schools, too. I mean, the, yeah. the access and the, you know, your taxes are way less than mine and everything that you have is way nicer than what I have. <laughs> yeah. And, and for those uh, like you and I and others in, in sobriety, uh, I got sober in New Jersey, but then moved to, to Maine. So I got my five-year chip here in Maine yeah. and, and, and so on. And I'll, I'll, next year, I'll get my 15-year chip in, in Maine and, and so on. So it's as a very robust uh sober community as well that's awesome yeah we um again i guess it's in my blood my my mom's family used to vacation there uh when they were younger 
Um, and they would go to the donut shop on Route 1, just south of where you are, Co- Cogden's Donuts. And, Cogden's. Yeah. Um, not my favorite donut shop in Maine, but we go. Um, I'm a holy donut guy. Okay. Um, through and through. Donut. Holy donut. Yeah. I mean, I've been getting those things for a while. And um, But, uh, yeah, when my mom passed, we we kind of – we. Oh. Um, spread some of her uh, ashes over there by uh mm-hmm. you know the beach over there just so she's kind of in that area but it's like it's been in our family for a while and you know there's something about it i was reading an article yesterday i got to dive deeper into it but it talks a little bit about why new england is such a like a pleasant place to live yeah um you know and, and this article related more to like gun violence and it was trying to like you know so it's a deep dive and i didn't really have time to get into it but yeah. you know one of the highlights was like new england is a very pleasant place to live people are yes. kind in new england i mean yeah. you know we spent time we lived in Newburyport, so just south of where you are um for about four years uh, Newburyport, mass so um i don't know have you ever been there to Newburyport? Yeah. I don't, I don't believe so, but I've been, if it's in the Boston area. Yeah. So you just go down 95. It's just south of Portsmouth. Um, I always say like Portland is the big one. Portsmouth is a smaller version of Portland. And then Newburyport was a smaller version of Portsmouth. They they look exactly the same. It's the same red brick. It's the same stores. It's same everything. But it was just a nice town. I mean, people were kind. They looked out for each other. There was like a just a pleasant vibe about it. And I, every time I cross over a certain point on my drive up there and it happens somewhere around the middle of Connecticut, yeah. um, I feel better just the way it yeah. is, you know? Yeah. You know, I, I fairly recently read the book, uh, soul of a nation by John Meacham. And he talks about, it looks a lot about at civil rights. He looked at it over the last six or seven decades. Yeah. And one thing that really struck me about Maine, and I, I, I realized it, but this emphasized it for me, is how long Maine has been on the right side of things. You know, one of the first states to, to approve gay marriage. Sure. And not to say that it's a, you know, it's not a, uh, it's not a blue state necessarily. It's kind of a purple state. Yeah. But, but in, when it comes to civil rights and when it comes to things um, of a, let's just say civil rights on both sides of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats have often found a way to do what is right for decades here in, in, in uh, Maine. And so I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, you know, I did, wasn't born and raised in Maine, uh, but I'm proud to live in the state because of just, we find a way to do the right things. Yeah. I would be proud too. I mean, Again, I, I always say it's a state where I feel like I, you know, your neighbor could have one view, you would have another, and you wouldn't even know it because you would still treat each other kindly. Yeah. Like, that's kind of what I see in the state when I'm there visiting. Yes. And um, there's something to be said for that. You know? Yeah, and I think like in gay marriage, for instance, I think that it could not it could not have passed in the state with, without... without um, uh, support from both yeah. the left and the right. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is because a lot of the Mainers, they have children and grandchildren that are gay and they yeah. just know that they're deserving of love as much as anybody else is. Yeah. And so they, they wanted to support that. So sure. it, it was, uh, yeah, it, it had bipartisan support and, 
And I'm, I'm very proud of that. And I, and I think in a state like that, if you don't help your neighbor, it's a real problem, right? So like, there's a lot of like, no matter what that person's thinking, that you, you might need help from them one day, right? Like there's real things that happen in that area where, you know, you need the, the support of your community and it doesn't matter kind of what you think like or who you are, you're still part of this like little enclave or, you know, this, this pond community and the tree fell and we got to get it cut. And, you know, I think there's still a lot of that energy in that state that kind of overcomes these issues. And, and it just, you could feel it. It's palpable. And I, and I really dig it. Um, I'm eventually going to live there. I want to live somewhere warm, but I really like Maine. So yeah. I think it's going to be Maine. <laughs> Those two don't have a lot of uh, overlap on the Venn diagram. I know, I know. <laughs> I remember when my wife was pregnant with our, our uh, first son, we went and we spent a week out at Peaks Island off the coast yeah. of uh, Portland. And man, that water was frigid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Long Beach Island in New Jersey. Yeah. I can remember, I can remember swimming down there on, on uh, President's Day weekend. Yeah. February and being... Or, October, what in October? Oh, yeah, Columbus Day, yeah, so, Columbus, yeah. Being so pleasant, yeah. It was warmer there in October than it ever gets here. I mean, it's it, yeah. it's it's not for the. It, it, you got to be pretty hardy to swim swim in the ocean up here. Yeah, we we do it, but it's uh, it's a whole different lifestyle. Um, yeah. So anyway, as you can tell, I love Maine. It is a uh, yeah. It's a yeah, it's a great place. Saying. I got a lot of favorite places up there, and. Uh, you know, we get up there a lot. Um, I did want to talk to you a little bit about music. I know we're, you know, kind of on an hour and I don't want to keep you all night, but, you know, you, you mentioned music and, uh, you know, you mentioned a couple good artists. So when you were, I mean, what is your musical taste? Like, what are you, what are you liking? What did you like is, you know, you continue to explore new bands yeah, I I still listen to a ton of music. I and my tastes are really eclectic. You know, uh, you know we from Wayne Shorter who died recently to uh, a lot of a lot of new stuff. Uh, I, I I'm very open minded with music. I don't necessarily like some some new music for this reason or that reason, mm -hmm. but it's, it has nothing to do with. I don't, I don't think it has anything to do with my age. It's just music that may not, you know, not all music appeals to, to me or uh, to others, but I still see, I mean, I've got, we've got probably tickets for 10 shows coming up in the next, in the next few months and some, some really Tedeschi trucks, Yola Tango. So Calexico is a, one of my favorite bands. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so just really down down the line, Jason Isbell, you mentioned earlier, yeah. is one of my favorite artists. And we saw Jason Isbell when he had just left Drive-By Truckers and was out on his own, just his first record had just come out in a small little room. We were staying right in front of him in, in Portland. And, uh, and and so we I just see a ton of music still. And and uh, it's been a major part of my life. Yeah. Uh, and I... I had a I had a big record collection I sold recently the record collection but I still have a, um, a huge uh, CD collection and, and and so on it's just a little easier to transport C CDs and I've moved enough that I'm getting a little tired of of, of those of moving those things but uh, yeah and and the music scene there has gotten really quite good I mean the state theater brings in great acts and you got Thompson's Point and 
I saw the Bangor Theater this summer is, I mean, their lineup is really nice this summer. So you guys have some great availability and you can go down to Boston still. And so you could see just about everybody. You can for sure. And, and, uh, state theater. I, uh, I, I, I saw Andrew Bird there about a month ago and, uh, haven't been, been there in the last, since, since then it was about a month. Um, and, but I've got probably tickets for four shows coming up at the state theater. Yeah. It's not just the state theater, you know, it's, there are some small rooms there that, you know, uh, I don't, uh, I don't know if you know Bob Mould, but mm-hmm. he, Bob Mould used to be, you know, with a with one of a band that changed my world back back in the day, a Husker Du, kind of a punk band, and he's just to me, he's one of the, one of the greatest, and he's playing a small little room, uh, uh, space gallery, and uh, in in uh, in in Portland, so okay. we get stuff in Portsmouth gets stuff too, so yeah, so we're there's there's a a uh, richness here that I just take full advantage of. Yeah, I forgot. Like you got Portsmouth, and then even between Portsmouth and Boston, you got that uh, like the Seabrook area. I think there's a big theater there. We yeah. saw a couple shows there too. I forget who we saw, yeah. but there was some stuff there. And yeah, I got to see. Um, I was talking about it yesterday uh, with my stepfather. We saw um, the lead singer from uh, Porcupine Tree at like a bar in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Um, it was like super weird to see, you know, him just, it was like a barbecue yeah. restaurant or something like that. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, it, it is a just vibrant as you area. Have, just as you have a love for Maine, a lot of those musicians have a love for Maine. So uh, like Calexico, a, a, a band that I just am wild about, and I just love them. Yeah. And, uh, I saw that they were touring and they were the farthest north at that point when I was looking was in, was in Cape Cod. And I was like, ah, and I even considered driving to Cape Cod and four hours and so on. Then the next week I see that they're coming, uh, they're coming to this area. So, um, That's yeah, good. so there's, and Joe Henry, I don't know if you know him, but Joe Henry, uh, is a producer and a singer songwriter. He's probably got 10, 10 or 12 albums out at least. And he, he, lives in Maine, but all the time you, you hear, you hear about, uh, you know, these folks are there because they're on, they're, they're touring here and they're, because they have, they're also on family vacations. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. His, his golden, his golden messenger. Yeah. Uh, he, he's been, I think he's been in, in Maine. Uh, I think he was in Maine probably four times last year. And I know that he's got some upcoming shows and he plays, he plays Thompson point, the huge outdoor venue as well as, um, uh, one Longfellow Square, just a place that probably seats two hundred or less, even. So you you have a real variety here. It's it's awesome. Yeah, we saw his Colton Messenger a couple years ago. Um, I think he's a North Carolina guy, but yeah, a true. good show, good show. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, he was on a bill. It was a mixed bill, so you know, to kind of fit to fall into it was a little bit tough. Actually, on that on that same bill was a. And I had never seen them, and, and I'm so upset that they broke up. But Ghost of Paul Revere, which yeah. is a main band, man, they were so good live. Uh, and we yeah. only saw them once. They were an incredible live yeah. band. I mean, it, you know, their music is good on the CD, but, man, it was just, you know, killer. And they yeah. they played this. I think they might have played the night before Isbell played. It was, it was a tough lineup because you had Jason Isbell and the Revivalists were the headliners. 
But Ghost of Paul Revere was pretty close to putting on the yeah. best show. It was it yeah. was right there. Yeah. Yeah, good for them. Yeah, it was really good. I, 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 I then I must be mistaken because I thought they were still around on occasion. But I, yeah, I think they just broke up. Like they okay. put out a new album, and I believe they just broke up. I see. Yeah, which was a kind of a bummer. Um, because okay. I know that they were doing like that Ghostland the festival up there, and yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's all. Yeah, exactly. It's all over. Well, let me put a plug in for one of my favorite new bands is a band named Bonnie Light Horseman. Yeah. And they're kind of a super group. They have the um, uh, guy from, uh, uh, forget this, Eric, Eric Johnson. He was in the band called the Fruit Bats and still is. And uh, and Anais Mitchell, who's from, from Vermont. And uh, Anais did a, wrote a, did a Broadway musical called Hades Town mm-hmm. that won eight Tony Awards, and I'm I'm the least I'm like the I'm not a big Broadway musical guy. It's just not really my cup of tea. I respect and so on, but the fact that she can she can write a musical that 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 earns ten Tony or eight Tony Awards, but they've come together to create this band called Bonnie Light Horseman. They only have a few records out, uh-huh. and. Um, but uh, uh, they have a record out called Ro- Rolling Golden Holly. Holy. Golden Golden Holy. It's a mouthful. But that was the record that just stayed on my proverbial turntable forever last year. I just loved it. And I saw them uh, in a Portland House of Music, a small little place. And it, it, it is, I get goosebumps even talking about it. It's, it's still, I mean, to me, it's probably a top 10 show in my lifetime. Really? So... Uh, and I and I've been listening to music and going to music as avidly as I have now for the last, you know, long time. I, I wonder if they met up at Newport Folk because I feel like both of them kind of float around that that festival. I know the Fruit Bats were there the year one of the years that we went because um, I remember them being there. So Connor Oberst. I yes. think it, it introduced them, and you might be exactly right. I think bright it might eyes. Have been right where, pardon me, a bright eyes guy, right? Gosh, yeah, it might have been the one to introduce them, and it very well could be just as you say at the in in Rhode Island where they where he introduced them. Yeah, that's like a whole. There's like a whole clan of people who just kind of float around that Newport folk scene, right? Like you know, Deer Tick and the Fruit Bats, and they're, they're these bands that are really great bands, but that don't just have the the following that they should you know but yeah. you listen to the music and you're like wow this is really good music um you know well that's that's how i am with bonnie light horseman i it, it's kind of a quiet record and i listen to it uh, that most recent you can listen to anything they've done and it's going to be good yeah but yeah uh, but i listened to the first one a couple times before it really stuck with me but now it's just i in fact i haven't listened to it for a couple months now just because i was listening to it over and over and over and yeah. I just I just loved it. Any, anybody that listened, I would tell them about it. That's great. That's great. Well, normally I would ask about recommendations and stuff, but I think we just did a bunch. But I'm going to yeah. give one recommendation that actually flows to two. And this week we um, we took our our both our boys and my older son's girlfriend out to see Guardians of Galaxy three, the yeah. Marvel movie, and we saw it in the theater. We don't normally go to the movie theater anymore, but um, my older son really wanted to go. 
And, and that's supposed to be a good movie, right? It was it's great. Good, it was great. Yeah. I mean, it was funny. It was full of action. You know, it kind of tugged at your heartstrings a little bit. Like, it definitely nice. could have gotten a tear out of somebody. Um, <laughs> and the music is so good. I mean, in all of those soundtracks, actually, if you go and you just, like, look up Guardians of the Galaxy 1, 2, or 3 Whoa. in the soundtrack, it's so good because the main character, uh, Peter Quill, the whole shtick is, like, he's an, uh, an Earthling that went out to outer space, and he one of the only things he had was like his Walkman. And so it's like this old, this is music from when he was eight. And so now like in this version, they somehow they have music from, well, obviously because they came down to earth, but they have like an iPod and it's, it's got music from the seventies through the two thousands. And so they use the music throughout it. And it's like, it literally spans seventies to the two thousands. And it's just yeah. really well done. Um, you know, and a, a good movie. And I will say, even the soundtrack's pretty good. I was I was uh, had it on shuffle today, on Spotify, and I, I did enjoy it quite a bit. So I'm just gonna just say Guardians of Galaxy three for everything today, um, and you know, I'll listen to that tomorrow. Yeah, it's fun. It's just a fun soundtrack. You know, it's got a uh, it's got everything on there. So, um, th Tom, I wanted to ask you just you know if you could leave the listeners with one sort of tool to take into the recovery. Like what's one thing that you've really latched on to that's helped you navigate these past 14 years? What would it be? Well, I would certainly say, you know, it gets a bad rap at times. Uh, but I, I think that, you know, because, uh, you know, some people shy away from uh, the religion, the religious aspect of it, mm -hmm. but it, it's take or leave. You don't have to, it's not jammed down your throat. Uh, but I think it's a very good community. But I think what's important is community. So whether you get that at AA or whether you get that by through Silver by Design podcasts and, and, and others like what you're doing, this is important work that you're doing. I find that community. Mm -hmm. Don't don't go it alone. Uh, so that's that's what I would say. I like that one. Community is so huge. It is the most important thing. Find it somewhere. You don't do it on an island. It's impossible. Yeah. Right? It really is. Anything's impossible on an island, really. Um, but recovery, for sure, you need that, yeah. that network. Not a healthy way to do it. Right, right. And, you know, I also want you to plug the, the, the company. Um, I'm going to link everything in the show notes, and I'll make sure that we get it up on Instagram as well. But if you want to plug you know, your website, your social, you know, whatever, because I think it is a great product for people to explore. And um, you guys seem to be doing it the right way. Thank you. Uh, and, and just by the way, exact nature, we have derived our name from the fifth step of AA's 12 steps. So admitted to ourselves, to God, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Excellent. So it's part of the confession step. So we're, man, we've got this stuff. This this stuff's built in. You yeah. know, we're 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 that we're not trying to sell CBD for for you know your favorite your tennis elbow or your favorite pad. We're all about offering our product to people that are trying to get sober, or even or or are even sober curious. Mm -hmm. Our website, you can see it behind me, is Exact Nature, but it's exactnature.com. Cool. And um, and and also, Corey, we will offer to your audience a, a discount, um, 
I think we said SBD20. Yep, the code is SBD20. Um, SBD20. So, so 20% off of their full order and it's free shipping. So Sweet. it's a great opportunity to try this. Awesome. One thing we've done about our products too is we we had we had capsules. We've gone to soft gels now, but we had capsules and they were 30, 30 counts. So we we we're just continuing the 30 count because what I want to do is I want people to have enough and either if it's an oil or if it's a uh, a soft gel enough to take two doses a day mm -hmm. so now we only sell our capsules in 60 counts and our and our oils have always been enough to take two two uh, uh, doses a day so we have 1500 milligrams and 3000 milligrams so very nice meaningful amounts of this okay. because it only works if you get it in your system and if you get it in your system uh, with uh, a cons consistency, consistently. That's awesome. So, well, well I, and also I, they can reach out to me. You can find my information on the website. I, as I said earlier in our discussion, our conversation, that I, I'm in conversations with people all the time. And I'm, yes, I want people to try it, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to bullshit anybody. I'm going to tell you what I have found, and 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 I'm, I'm I'm optimistic. I believe in CBD, but I'm also uh, I, I just, I'll tell you, uh, I'll tell you how I truly feel about these things. Sure. No, that's awesome. I think you're going to get a couple people reaching out um, and placing orders. And hopefully, uh, you know, the listeners get some benefit out of the product. And um, the next time I'm up in Wells, I will let you know. <laughs> Yes, I'll be angry if you don't, because uh, I, I, and it, with with uh, a little bit of warning, I will get us some uh, a ticket, some tickets to a nice show. Of course, we will. We will do that. Um, I appreciate the time tonight. And uh, this was a lot of fun. And, you know, maybe we do it again down the road. And, you know, best of luck to you and the family. Um, you know, really good stuff what you're doing. So thank you. All right, everybody, we will see you on the next one. Remember to like, subscribe, do whatever we're supposed to do on these podcasts. And uh, that's it. Goodbye. Go ahead. Go ahead, Tom. You got something? Just, I want to thank you for the important work you're oh, doing. Oh, yeah. Too. No, no, thank you. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye.